Salo Falava, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up. Pacific's uh, voices are united around this and uh, we will work uh, with uh, all, all countries. Pacific leaders call for a climate change fund at COP27. Also, most of my research up to this point has been on global international organizations like the United Nations. An Auckland Uni professor aims to help international bodies work better in the Pacific. And later on, they are US national experts, just not US citizens. We tell a know with political scientist Dr. Christina Laalaai Tausa on American Samoa's elections. At COP27, Pacific leaders want a loss and damage framework to be up and running before next year's climate conference. Fiji's ambassador and permanent representative to the United Nations, Dr. Sayendra Prasad, has labelled negotiations at this year's COP27 as tough. He says Fiji welcomes New Zealand's loss and damage funding announcement and urges the rest of the world to follow suit. Through a facilitator on the ground, Lydia Lewis and Rachel Nath spoke to Dr. Prasad. Thank you very much to all uh, Radio New Zealand uh, listeners. A good afternoon from Sharma Sheikh in Egypt, uh, where Fiji, Pacific, New Zealand uh, family uh, all all together and uh, working with the international community to raise ambition uh, at uh, COP27. I join uh, in, uh, Fiji's Prime Minister, uh, Honorable uh, Frank Bainimarama, in welcoming and congratulating uh, New Zealand on its uh, announcement of a loss and damage uh, uh, contribution uh, equal to 20 million New Zealand dollars. This is, shows uh, New Zealand's leadership and its uh, commitment. Uh, loss and damage is something that has been on the COP agenda for many, many years. Uh, it is under Egypt's uh, presidency and its great uh, diplomacy and its uh, leadership, at uh, fantastic leadership at uh, COP27. Uh, that uh, loss and damage has finally been placed on uh, the international community's formal agenda here in Sharma Sheikh. Uh, we hope Fiji and the rest of the Pacific that in a short period of uh, time and no more than end of next year, uh, by the time we get together for COP28, uh, that a loss and damage uh, uh, framework and facility is up and operational and uh, that it is uh, fully uh, supported. Uh, New Zealand's uh, contribution uh, to loss and damage is extremely welcome, uh, both uh, substantively as well as uh, symbolically, uh, because it uh, encourages uh, other countries to follow uh, follow suit. It also helps uh, lift uh, the global momentum that is uh, necessary uh, for us in Pacific. Uh, for some some countries, loss and damage is are things for future. For us in Pacific, uh, loss and damage is sub, uh, something that we have been living with for years, if not for decades. As uh, 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 many of you would be aware, uh, we are already in the process of relocating communities, and uh, what this means is that uh, for those communities that are being relocated, it is either too late for adaptation, or adaptation solutions simply do not offer them. Uh, the, the prospect for continued uh, uh, existence in, in, uh, in their ancestral uh, villages and, and, and homes uh, because of rising sea levels and exposure to uh, tidal surge and, uh, uh, and, and sea level rise. And, and so it, it is very fitting uh, that uh, New Zealand has, uh, is absolutely on the right side of, uh, of uh, history uh, and uh, it has shown fantastic uh, leadership uh, uh, in, the, in the global community and this has also lifted uh, both the spirit as well as the 
the uh, the diplomatic efforts underway by small uh, small island states at COP27. Uh, Do you think the New Zealand contribution goes far enough? It's uh, New Zealand's uh, contribution. Uh, New Zealand is only the fourth country uh, to have made uh, made a contribution to loss uh, loss and damage, and uh, and so. Uh, uh, it is for the whole of the uh, international community to put uh, su uh, sufficient resources on on scale in a agreed uh, framework, and the framework has not yet uh, globally been agreed as well on, on how a loss and damage facility will be operationalized, et, uh, etc. So this, uh, there are many more steps ahead, uh, and it is uh, not only that, but loss and damage. Uh, uh, in in the Pacific, we know we are very familiar. Loss and damage is uh, something if we the world stays on its uh, uh, current uh, global warming pathway, uh, the uh, losses and damage will continue to uh, take place on the scale they are already occurring, or even at a worse scale, uh, given all the projections. And so, what you will need uh, is in the end a, a, a predictable financing arrangement for a. A global loss and damage facility, and uh, and uh, these discussions are yet to be held uh, uh, and concluded uh, by the international community. Uh, but uh, right now, uh, it's uh, New Zealand's contribution is uh, both substantive, very substantive, and also symbolically extremely powerful in in helping the international community get over the line on what will be the nature and scale of uh, of a loss and damage facility and how its uh, ongoing uh, financing uh, will be uh, will be secured and what would the pacific like to see in terms of accessibility to this funding is there a timeline that the pacific is negotiating for in the right. meeting so uh, for pacific uh, very clear we uh, we like uh, we can no longer uh, given uh, that we are dealing with runaway climate change now we are dealing with catastrophe after catastrophe we are uh, dealing with exponential increases in loss and damage across our own, own communities in, in Fiji, but across the whole, whole of the uh, Blue Pacific. Uh, we would like these discussions to be concluded firmly uh, and, uh, and delivered uh, by November of uh, 20, uh, 2024, and for the financing frameworks and for the financing arrangements to uh, have been put in place very, very soon there, uh, thereafter. It's uh, something that we, the Pacific's uh, voices, are united uh, around this, uh, and uh, we will work uh, uh, with uh, all all countries uh, through Egyptian presidency uh, to ensure that uh, uh, to to see uh, that there's global consensus around this, and that uh, the urgency with which we are, are making this argument about uh, loss and damage is appreciated. Uh, and that it is urgency that drives uh, uh, drives uh, the uh, the final uh, solutions. An international law and organisations expert is one of the twelve recipients of an eight hundred thousand New Zealand dollar Rutherford Discovery Fellowship from the Royal Society Te Aparangi. Associate Professor in Public International Law at Auckland University, Guy Sinclair, aims to analyse the international legal framework in the Pacific by looking at international bodies working in the region. Dr Sinclair says with climate change, security concerns and other issues impacting on the Pacific, he hopes to help these international organisations work better and interact more effectively. He spoke with Don Wiseman, who began by asking how he got involved in such work. I trained as a lawyer and initially practised as a commercial lawyer in law firms in London and then in 
in Auckland and then I, I worked in-house for a while. And while I was working in my in-house roles, I did some further studies uh, to the master's degree and then went off and did a doctorate uh, at New York University in international law, focusing on international organizations. And so most of my research up to this point has been on global international organizations like the United Nations or the World Bank or the International Labor Organization and so on. And so this research will be a bit of a change of focus for me in the sense that it's shifting from the global to the regional. In particular, it's looking at, of course, regional international organizations in the Pacific. And I'm not only concerned with security activities, security-related activities of these regional international organizations, although that's obviously high on the political agenda at the moment, but I'm also interested in how those security concerns interact with broader issues, whether they be environmental, economic, or development-related, or, or what have you. All right. Can we just go into a little bit more detail? These security issues you're looking at, on the face of it, as far as I know, none of these organisations are involved in security. So are we just talking about their safeness, the security of the elements of their operation, or what exactly? What are we talking about? Well, I think there are there are interacting and sort of intercutting issues everywhere in the world, and perhaps especially in the Pacific, of course, the concept of security is used very broadly these days to encompass human security and environmental security and all kinds of other things. Um, I think you do see regional Pacific organizations involved in a way in security issues. Think, for example, of the events earlier this year following the tour of the Chinese foreign minister around various Pacific island countries and then asking, uh, wanting to sign up countries to a pact with China and the Pacific leaders saying, well, we do things as a, as a Pacific family through the Pacific Islands Forum. So that's obviously not security issues were not uh, immediately implicated in the sense there was no immediate concern about a, a war breaking out or anything like that. But I think those security issues were in the background of everybody's, you know, everybody's mind at that time. But as I say, I'm not only concerned about security issues. I'm, I'm really interested in how they interact with a whole range of other issues that affect the Pacific. And that extends beyond Pacific Island regional organizations like the Pacific Islands Forum or the Pacific Community or SPREP or what have you, to also think about other international organizations carrying out operations in the Pacific. So we might think of, for example, the work of the Asian Development Bank or of the European Union or of the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank as sort of the institutional arm of the Belt and Road Initiative. And it's, it's okay, those, sort yeah. of all those interactions that, that are interesting. What's the end purpose of it all? What will you do with what you discover? Well, I, I think there's several end purposes. I think there's a, there's a practical end purpose in the sense that it will be useful for uh, governments, not only the government of New Zealand, but governments of, of Pacific Island states, to have a better sense of the institutional environment, the framework, and, and how it all uh, interacts. So there's a sort of a, a practical purpose which I hope the research will serve. I think it also has, this may be less interesting to you and your listeners, but I think there are important doctrinal and theoretical concerns within international law. So there's a lot of interest now, increasing interest in the work of regional organizations more broadly. Obviously, there are very highly developed regional organizations in Europe, and very little, relatively little is known, actually, about the Pacific regional organizations from the legal perspective. How much access are you going to get? You're spying to a certain extent, aren't you? So what sort of access are you going to get? Well, that's yet to be seen. 
seen. I mean, uh, I, I'm hoping that the organizations will be open to this research and be willing to speak to me and talk about uh, what they do and mm-hmm. see why, why they wouldn't. Part of the research will be historical, so I'm hoping to access you know, national and international organization archives to see how these organizations have evolved over time and the different power dynamics uh, in modern So I think there'll be a, a question sort of interviews and observations and primary document-based research in archives. American Samoa has held elections to decide the territory's delegate to the U.S. House of Representatives, coinciding with the U.S. midterm elections. Over a dozen candidates are vying for the position, including current delegate and Republican incumbent Almoa Amata Redwagon, who is widely expected to be re-elected. Finau Funua spoke with political scientist Dr. Christina Laala to discuss the elections and the political system of America's Polynesian outlier. What's your prediction of what's going to happen in American Samoa? Is it a Republican, generally a Republican or Democratic territory? Mm, that's a that's a difficult one because American Samoan um, elections are a little bit different from the ordinary ones. Uh, say, for example, the Northern Marianas in Guam we just mentioned. Uh, because in American Samoa um, and in other um, territories and states, candidates are endorsed by political parties and run campaigns based on party manifests. Um, now, in contrast, American Samoa's elections are nonpartisan. Um, so in this case, individuals can um, and are allowed to have political affiliations to either Democrats or Republicans. However, elections are nonpartisan, and candidates do not run, um, you know, under party labels. So um, yeah, it's it's interesting because yeah it, yeah it, we can't sort of predict in terms of American Samoa because it's a nonpartisan it's based on a nonpartisan um, you know sort of framework. Um, but we know that whoever American Samoans elect uh, will be someone that is good for for the communities. Um, just looking at the um, in terms of the candidates from from you know the previous elections in 2020, there were 51 candidates who vied for the 18 seats um, available. However, this week's elections, there are only 39 candidates um, who register run for office. So uh, a huge drop by 12 candidates as of last time they had the elections. Um, so it will be interesting. Um, and there's a, a, a bit of analysis that we can make there in terms of, of the candidates they run in American Samoa. But what we can sort of conclude is that it's because it's run on a um, nonpartisan, it, it basically gives the people more power uh, to vote for the person that is contributing more and serving their uh, communities or their districts, which is a little bit different from um, the elections that are held elsewhere. Do you think that's a more effective election method, that you have people who focus more on the local issues rather than the party? Absolutely. In any case, um, that's really good. And I think a positive for American Samoa is because, you know, then they, they're not... Uh, the voting is not based off one person's, you know, personal interest um, or personal ambitions. Uh, voting is based on the candidate's service and affiliation to their community, um, and importantly, the priorities of the community or the district they represent. So, in this case, um, it minimises political banter, it minimises personal attacks on fellow candidates, and it does mean that the emphasis is on the people. 
um, and what is good for the common good, rather than focusing on the political party's agenda and individual political ambitions. So it is a good thing, um, especially for American Samoa, given its size and given its geographical um, location. So it's a a win-win for them. Could you describe a bit more about the how the um, elections and politics work in American Samoa? Do they have to elect a delegate to the House of Representatives, like the um, the other territories? Yep, absolutely. So the current American Samoa delegate to the U.S. House of Representatives um, is Amua Amata Coleman, who, although cannot vote on the House floor, um, the House of Representatives in the U.S., she can vote in, in the different committees where she represents American Samoa in terms of influencing policies and legislation. Um, you know, American Samoa holds one of the you know unique distinctions of being the only American jurisdiction um, whose residents have been declared by the U.S. Congress to be U.S. nationals and not U.S. citizens. So they can vote in the territorial representative elections, which you know have been held this week, but they can't um, vote in the presidential elections. Um, you know, and this has been an ongoing discussion, not only politically, but legally. I mean, it has been a contentious issue. So not only the ability to vote in the presidential election, but also the eligibility of an American Samoan, a national, uh, to run for the presidential election. Um, so it, it's quite an interesting, um, you know, time for American Samoa. And yes, they have a current, Amer- you know, American Samoa delegate. They don't have the, you know, the the ability to vote, um, but they do have a lot of influence in terms of the committees uh, that they serve. So, um, yeah, it, it will be some interesting times for, for American Samoa, but they have been very, I guess, um, active and proactive and have been well represented in the U.S. House of Representatives through the uh, American Samoan delegate. The consensus among American Samoans, um, they want equal voting rights. Is that correct? Yep. Yes, that's correct. Um, and, uh, the, if you look at all of the other um, territories uh, of um, America, you know, people have the same right and they, they are able to vote. But it's just that American Samoa just has that distinction of, you know, they, they are, you know, U.S. nationals at birth, just not U.S. citizens. And I think it will go back to the legality of, um, you know, the what constitutes a citizen and once, you know, American Samoa has, has the ability to um, take that to court and argue for that and advocate for that, then they'll be able to, you know, um, not only get the, the, the voting right that they deservedly um, should get, but also be able to um, run themselves for the presidential election. I mean, historically, um, if we look back at American Samoa's contribution to the United States, you know, they've been, a lot of them have been serving through uh, the military. And um, history tells, it, tells us that in the, in the war in Iraq, American Samoa had the highest um, per capita deaths in terms of the people that were serving in the military. So, you know, that tells us that American Samoa should, like every other state in America, have the, 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 the right to vote in those presidential elections and not just in the territorial ones, uh, which are currently uh, happening. That's Pacific Ways for today. Remember, you can download us for free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Love you, Manuele Paul.